joining me this evening, Terry. Hello. Making a return performance, dumbass. I'm a chimera. I was born with a deer face and a bare bum. <laughs> and, and Mac. Good evening, everybody. And last and least, Ian. Greetings and salutations, all. How's everybody doing this evening? Wow, I'm not even introduced anymore. <laughs> I was I was wondering. I'm sitting here going, did you just skip Kimberly? I did I totally skip Kimberly? <laughs> Too many Kimberly. What make you think you matter? I, I don't. That was awful of me. I am I am I am an awful person. I mean, well, I think co-host I guess is getting a bit much for Brian to remember. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, once the, if I can't in the day, I think I ruined the the rhythm of it. You 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 have one more guest to introduce, though. That's true. That's true. Well, you know, since you know, I only have four fingers like an elf. You know, if I have to go beyond that, it's difficult. Well, we're just all over the mythological mythological uh, landscape tonight, aren't we? Yes, we are. Chimery. Chim- all right. Well, I mean, Kimberly, how are you doing? Please. What's the plural of that. I am doing terrific. Thank you for asking. I am. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I I, I mean, I I got to bed late. I got up early. I got on a plane. I'm in Houston. It's hot. It's humid. But air conditioning is a wonderful thing. I was like, well, you're in Texas, man. Anything goes. You know, I mean, just staying sane in Texas is job enough. So don't worry about it. He needs to prove himself in Texas. We'll use the Pee Wee Herman Big Adventure um, thing. So. Brian. I think technically, if you're if you're supposed to prove yourself in Texas, I think you're supposed to fill your hand, you son of a bitch. <laughs> We've all seen Pee Wee Herman's adventure, right? We have. So we know how to prove that if we're in Texas or not, someone over the phone. That's right. And I forget something star. Stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. There we go. Well, I'm alone in the room. As far as you know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, anybody have anything? Uh, do we have any announcements? I don't really have much right now. Uh, I apologize. I've been doing just a really lousy job of keeping the calendar together. Uh, the big thing I want people to know about is the October 12th State of the Hub dinner. We're going to be doing a big fundraising dinner, $75 a plate. And most of that money is going to be going to help the hub continue as we get ready for our second year. We're negotiating leases and stuff like that. And um, so, I, you know, a lot of people have wanted to, you know, put in some support. Um, the original founders, that was like a, a $1,000 support, which is a pretty huge tab that a lot of people couldn't quite hit. We're kind of hoping that maybe the $75 range might be something more up people's alley. It's still quite a lot of money uh, for a lot of people, but... Uh, a way to show your support and wanting to be involved and and having a really great evening, too. We're going to have a bunch of stuff. Uh, we've got a video that uh, Seth Andrews, the Thinking Atheist, helped us make, promoting the hub. We're going to premiere that night. Uh, we've got a founder's plaque that we made. Uh, we got a whole lot of stuff going on. So it's a really good night, October 12th. If you can make it, please, please do. Are right. our, our donations tax deductible? They are. All right, so Ian had a geeky weekend. This is in the discount for fun um, because I, I enjoyed the convention. It's called it was called the Myth and Legends Con, and basically what it was, the way I describe it is about 
really four or five little mini conventions within one bigger one. Because the idea was to do stuff themed to the various fandoms. Just not get off. And it looks like you uh, met somebody from a uh, Real Nerds podcast? Yeah. Well, I'll talk about that in a moment. But anyway, okay. so this night they had a party. Um, they had several parties every night. The first afternoon it was a Harry Potter themed one. Then into the evening it went to Firefly. Then the next day they had a, um, I forget the morning party. But then it went into Pirates for the afternoon and into the evening. Then on Sunday it started off with a Hobbit breakfast and finished up with the whole Doctor Who celebration for the rest of the day. Huh. So it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. We had a real fun time. Um, met some new friends and everything. Always cool to do. A fairly small convention. That's one reason why I want to try and promote it because I'd like it to be a little bigger and want to keep going because it was a great time. So I don't know where you want to pick up. Oh, okay. It's stuffed up tonight. Not good. Okay. Well, I put the um, Myth and Legend thing in. Well, where should I start at, you think? Do start the Myth and Legend. Start over. Do it over. I put the Myth and Legend um, con part in here mostly for fun because I had a real fun time at the convention. Me and my family, we enjoyed it like crazy. And this was its first year, so it's a fairly small convention. And I want to help them promote it, and hopefully next year it'll be bigger and they can keep it going because it really was a great convention. In essence, what it was was a bunch of kind of little smaller conventions in one. Um, while they had a lot of the regular stuff, the panels with writers, things like that going on, they um, every night they had parties. Well, the first night, in the afternoon, they had a Harry Potter-themed party. Then the second, uh, then that evening, they had a Firefly-themed party. Then into Saturday, I can't quite remember what they started the day off with. For some reason, this is haunting me. Oh, that's right, they had the room divided. And they had a Firefly, or not Firefly, Joss Whedon on the brain, a lot of Joss Whedon stuff. They had a Dr. Horrible sing-along shadow um, cast. And then they followed that up by the Buffy musical shadow cast. People acting out the stuff in front of the... Uh, a lot of fun. Kind of like they used to do with um, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah, very much just like Rocky Horror Picture And they still do that with Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Once a month. Uh, we actually went to it a few months ago. Okay. Anyway, so that's what they did in the morning. Then in the um, afternoon and evening, they had pirate-themed stuff the whole rest of the day. Then on Sunday, they started off with a Hobbit breakfast and then finished up the day with three hours worth of Doctor Who um, events. And so, like I said, it was a lot of kind of like a, going to a lot of different fans at once, being separated and giving each one kind of its own time. And I thought it was very well done. And so, like I said, I, I want to promote them. I want to give them my love and say, you know, try and get more people to go to it and make sure it keeps going because it was great. The, um, the lady who put it on um, did an incredible job. It ran very smooth. But um, she had a lot of people that had done work at other conventions before helping her. So they knew what they were doing already. So she had a great team. I mean, you for a first-time convention, you normally don't get something this smooth and well put together. Hmm. So a blast. While there, one of the things I um, did was I sat in at the Real Nerds podcast that they did a fandom film thing. You know, fandom fans talking about the various films that are coming out, stuff like that. And one of the things afterwards was I talked to them and said, hey, you know, I do this other podcast. And while we're not necessarily the geek stuff, we have done the geek stuff. And, you know, we're skeptic-oriented. And they kind of like the idea of us um, coming on and doing a podcast with them. Yeah, that'd so, be fun. Yeah, that so be. that's what I'll be working on together. 
for a possible future podcast. Then the other thing I, I would put here a note is this group of two local girls called uh, Not Literally. And basically they do really great geek parodies. I, ha- I recommend they're very cute. My boys actually have a crush on them now. <laughs> but they were doing, um, they were part of the entertainment at some, several of the parties. They were on date singing. They're not that good at live, but their videos are actually quite funny. I, I definitely recommend checking them out. A lot of geek stuff. They started off with Harry Potter. And they actually uh, um, had a couple of Harry Potter videos up. And one Harry Potter convention called them and said, hey, we have a convention in five weeks. Everything's set up. We have to have you here. So, you know, they got a big boost there, but it's expanded. They've done they've done um, um, Game of Thrones. They have a fun little Halloween video and um, a Christmas zombie video. So they have a bunch of fun stuff, highly geeky. So you know, just kind of giving a shout out, giving some love there. Another thing I really enjoy. All right. I know we do have I hope we do. I know we're a bunch of geeks, so that helps. Yeah. And uh, so what, what else you got coming up here, Ian? Um, then I personally will, as always, be at Mile High Con, which is this year, October 18th, 19th, and 20th. So hunt me down. Say hi if you're a fan. Um, I will once more have our super, we're ultra collectible business cards. <laughs> All right. I haven't gotten one yet. You don't you know. It's going to be collectible. We know it someday. <laughs> Well, they're outdated now because we we have to add Terry, and we have to and note that we're a, that we're a proud member of the Dumbass Media Empire. Right. So that's right. All the business cards I presently have are never going to be made again. So you know you have. To, <laughs> I mean, they become truly limited. Oh, I think that Skype just adjusted my sound for me. You don't sound any different. Oh, I, it, I, okay. Maybe it's uh, Ian got loud and it, it adjusted the sound. I hate that Skype does that. Okay. All right. Well, so are you ready for your masturbation moment well, segment? Masturbation moment from several of us tonight. <laughs> well, I'm so I've been ready since we started. <laughs> The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. Let me grab my shake weight. You guys first see it. No, link. There we go. Okay. Same page not found for a moment. Okay, so. Dude, catch up. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just joking. I was, uh, I was imagining all of us having our moments at the same time, and you were falling behind. <laughs> we're not. Okay, everyone get started. <sighs> all right, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Masturbation laws around the world. It started talking about a 65-year-old man who was found masturbating openly at a beach in Stockholm, and he was cleared of charges uh, because the activities were not directed towards a specific person. So however the legal system in Stockholm works, if you just go out and randomly masturbate, you can do it. You just can't masturbate focused on someone specific. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Well. <laughs> public, you're in private. No, it's okay. It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> Just keep on walking, ma'am. <laughs> then it went into some other interesting world. Uh, apparently, the pen- in Indonesia, the penalty for masturbation is decapitation. <laughs> wow. At the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, that's not exactly making the punishment fit the crime. What well, is, which what head are we decapitating? Sure what are, are we are we making sure they don't think about masturbating again? Because that that accomplishes that. I assume what you'd want to do is decapitate the hands. Yeah, that would. <laughs> okay, I'm going to skip over the UK one because that seems a bit long. Um, in Brazil, a woman took her employee employers to court after doctors gave evidence about her need to masturbate up to 47 times a day. The court ruled that she was legally entitled to a 15-minute break every two hours. <laughs> Wait, I'm doing the math in my head. That doesn't quite work out. Well, <laughs> 47 I, times a day. She <laughs> well, doesn't have to masturbate all 47 times while she's on work, I guess. <laughs> At work, every 15 minutes, she can take a break. Or a 15-minute break every two hours to while at work i think the i think according to this case i think the 47 minutes was the maximum that she had done uh, yeah up to yeah up to 40 times a day so you know she apparently has an actual need so you can in brazil you can get doctor's note that says your employers have to let you masturbate because it is a condition wow apparently it's a real condition i've heard uh, i've seen uh, some online some people some uh, are saying that uh, this is actually a fake case, um, but I, I think they might be just going off the fact that apparently the photo that came with the article was was not of the woman. I've heard some other people say that they actually saw this woman interviewed on uh, Brazilian television. Hmm. Wow. So it, um, I think it's real. It could be fake, though. A lot of people are saying it's fake. I'll tell you, at 47 times a day, I bet she could wear an Itachi wand. You can't do anything else, right? You can't, like, when do you eat? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, He's actually it's probably pretty hungry afterwards, right? <laughs> I think, yeah. It's off like five minutes, you know, I guess you could fit it in. I'm not quite sure how, but... In Colorado, we'd treat that with marijuana now. <laughs> uh, in Saudi Arabia, a general court sentenced a teacher three years in prison and 300 lashes for declaring that masturbation as well as homosexuality, smoking, and music were permissible under Islam. Rather extreme. Rat bastard. Um, oh, oh, this is the fun one. In Alabama, uh, the Supreme Court in Alabama outlawed the sale of any device designed primarily for the stimulation of human genital organs. All right, wow. way to keep leading the charge, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> All you really have to do is say, well, it's not primarily designed for that. It's just a, it's a shoulder massager. Exactly. That's what the picture is here. A woman massaging her shoulder. Alabama, they have to get cle- um, very clever in the promotion of vibrators. That's ridiculous. Uh, not a vibrator. It's a, 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 a walking stick. You put it on the table and let go, and it just bobs around. It's very funny to watch. But if I you wear, yeah, that's right. It's very funny to watch. I wear penises on my feet. They're footwear. <laughs> Oh, the next one. In the city of Carlette, North Carolina, being caught masturbating in public is a cat class three misdemeanor. Luckily, a local is on hand to adjust that. 
including asking the right questions, stroking ejaculation. Does the defendant have a clean record? <laughs> okay. You know, I, I don't think that masturbating in public is, you know, I mean, is probably. I don't. I don't know what class three means. You know, because that that means different things to other places. But certainly, I, it's inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it is. But what is a class three? I mean, that doesn't tell me anything. Class three misdemeanor. It's different everywhere you go. So that that could be nothing. Yeah. True. Or it could be severe. I, I I don't know what that means. And apparently, finish it off in Texas as of January first, two thousand fourteen. Many forms of male masturbation became illegal. Exceptions include sperm donations, which now must only be performed at a designated hospital facility. <laughs> okay. Oh, Texas. yeah. This, wait, this is the I mean, law, I'm heading down uh, to the hospital. Right. This, <laughs> this is part of that same law that prevents the abortions and everything, too, that they, that they made that these ridiculous um, – they made – they took all these things that, that they kind of didn't like, and they made it so it, that to do them, you had to have all these, like, sterile hospital-style, you know um, – um, regulations in place so like all the abortion clinics you know they don't meet those standards and they don't need to meet those standards and they knew that when they implemented these things so the this law in particular remember we covered the story about that woman in congress who stood up and filibustered it you know she Mm -hmm. you know and they were complaining that she adjusted her back brace well this is that law that they finally passed well at least they only outlawed male masturbation Right. Yeah. Well, I don't think they Texas probably... knows about female masturbation. <laughs> yeah, my guess is that exist. they actually don't believe in it. <laughs> well, actually, what would be harder to do is to prove that female um, masturbation could be linked to any form of birth control. Well, if a guy gets off, that's wasted sperm. If a girl gets off, well, she just gets off. Oh, Ian, now I have that song in my head. Right. But are there other ways that I can masturbate illegally while I'm here? Because I'm, I'm I mean... You want to go for the gold? Yeah, I want to go for the gold. I mean, I'm here, right? I mean, let, let, let's break it. By that song, did you mean every sperm is sacred? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, getting that one in your head can be quite annoying. But, Brian, you have till January 1st. Okay. Oh, oh well. I'll be back next year. <laughs> so right now, get off all you want, and they can't do a thing about it. Well, it's not quite as exciting now. <laughs> talk about Sarah Silverman's perfect night. I do, because in my ongoing effort to normalize female masturbation and female orgasm, I decided that I need to drop a little female masturbation into the masturbation moment segment of the podcast. So um, Sarah Silverman did a hilarious song uh, about her perfect night. And it's just so funny because she's just like she's in her sweatpants and she's at home alone and she's having just watching movies and checking, you know, celebrity feeds on Twitter and, you know, and and uh, smoking a little pot and all that kind of stuff. And, and she's going to masturbate. Like it's just part of like she's brushing her teeth and she's going to masturbate. And uh, I like the way it's just integrated into the flow of her evening rather than like this huge, big outside rare, you know, thing that never occurs. It's like, Oh yeah, here's my perfect night. And it's like at this checklist. What I don't like about it is the pot smoking. I don't care if she smokes pot, but I think that people who are opposed to masturbation and who are appalled by female masturbation in particular might cite that as um, evidence that like only pot smoker women, you know, only drug users masturbate or only women who use pot masturbate. So I don't um, uh, morally deficient women masturbate. Right, exactly. So I don't that's the only part I don't like, but it's a pretty catchy tune. And I, I like how it's, you know, it's kind of funny and clever and it it normalizes that. 
so that's what I had to add. All right. Yeah, I have three comments about the video. Um, first, is that it is a really good song, and it's now on my MP3 player. Um, <laughs> second, that really does sound like a pretty awesome night to me, except for the pot smoking part. part I don't smoke pot either. But uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Just uh, hanging out, uh, doing nothing, doing stuff by yourself. Uh, I love that. Uh, and third, I went to YouPorn and I did a search and I couldn't find a single porn video involving high fives and I'm very disappointed. <laughs> I thought about that. <laughs> so she ticks off all her YouPorn, you know, uh, keywords, which in one of them is high fives. <laughs> I didn't have that time to look. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready? Dumbass here, we'll high five it. You ready? <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, I this reminds me a little bit of uh, reading... Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and his comments about the fact that the drug enforcement agents that that he was infiltrating by pretending to be a police officer at this convention in Las Vegas, their information was 30 years out of date and wrong. And it was talking about the fact that the the dope fiend is is this, he's that, his 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 trousers are crusted with semen and all this stuff. <laughs> and just the uh, just the comment about about smoking pot and morally deficient. So I'm just enjoying sharing my masturbation moment with everyone else. All right. So well, we got one more here. Right. Um, this one is mine. Uh, talking uh, talking about the uh, subject of female sexuality. Um, I thought this was interesting. A small college called Hamilton College is offering a workshop on female orgasms at their women's center, and women here is spelt with a Y. <laughs> um, it seems to come up, have come up specifically because of criticism from a group called Campus Reform, which considers the workshop to be a waste of higher education resources. And I've also seen other baser criticisms, like uh, one blogger suggesting that maybe a liberal woman need help getting orgasms because... Uh, those manby-pamby liberal college guys just aren't real men enough to do it for them. <laughs> I thought that was pretty outrageous, uh, a thing to say. But to be fair, I do think that you open yourself to some ridicule when you spell women with a Y. Um, anyway, um, I suppose it can be debated whether colleges should spend money on this kind of thing. I personally think it's fine for colleges to spend money on necessary but interesting things like this once in a while. Um, but what I found most interesting, though, was how this all fits into what we're talking about to do with female se sexuality. Um, this is how uh, they advertised a workshop. Quote, whether you want to have your first orgasm, when you, whether you want to learn to have your first orgasm, how to have better ones, or how to help your girlfriend, Maggie, Marshall Maggie and Marshall cover it all. End quote. So uh, the first thing they suggest is that you might want to learn to have your first orgasm. And I find this fascinating and a little mind-boggling that there are enough women who haven't had one that this is seen as filling a need. You should check the stats. There are tons of women who are non-orgasmic. In fact, I mean, I mean, quite, I mean, probably the majority. You got to remember majority, the, really. the the world we live in. Most men don't actually know about the clitoris or don't believe in it or certainly wouldn't take the time about it. Most women cannot orgasm through penetration alone. And the average, obviously not the men on this call, uh, men out there have no interest in finding anything else about it. You're so, talking about no, the, the condition idea... known as female hysteria, right? Yeah, well, no. but there's there's another piece of this, though, is that you, you, you would hope that the woman would have 
explored her body enough to know how to make herself masturbate so that she could help the man to help her masturbate. I mean, there, there's a communications too, gap, too, here that that's the problem. No, it's too clouded in shame and guilt, though, right? We're not exactly. supposed to be. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I, I – in you in Kimberly, you're probably right. We can probably blame a, some of this on men. But I think that, that Terry hit the point there that it's a shameful thing, and I think that that's more the problem than, than men not wanting not, – not wanting to – I don't know. Well, well, I put All a link I into it. Would agree with that. I have I, one I more a... thing to add. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> I was just going to say that um, if we are taught that it's abnormal, then fewer women are going to pursue that on their own, right? Because they're going to think something's wrong with me if I want to try this out. So that further marginalizes the practice. Yeah. So well, remember, I... Like 20 years ago, we actually had a surgeon general lose her job because she was saying that we should kids that masturbation is helpful. All right, dumbass, go. Right. Uh, I put a, uh, re just related to that, I put in a, a link to a Reddit post showing a survey of college students where 100% of the male students admitted to having masturbated, but 20% of the female students claimed to have never masturbated. And um, I guess that there's some suggesting that maybe 20% you know, is a lowball figure because these are liberal college students who um, may uh, um, be more uh, in touch with their body than the regular population as well. Um, we can only speculate about uh, whether any of them are lying about uh, having never masturbate, masturbated. But um, there, there are some pretty interesting posts in the comments thread about uh, women saying that they are, they, they, or they know people who uh, have never masturbated before. And even a couple males saying that uh, they didn't masturbate until, say, they were in their 20s. Well, again, I, I think this goes, uh, this is a lot bigger than I think you would think it is. If you're taught that it's sin and self-abuse, and you're harming yourself, there'd be a pretty strong disincentive to try it, I think. Yeah. The, the, the other, the one and especially other who, it's not like men, trying it the first time, you're probably not going to hit that spot on your first try. And if that was this big super secret thing, and you can't talk about it, and you have no, no access to any information, you're probably not all that inclined to continue to try. You know, like, and if you... You know, some people might even say you never masturbated if you never brought yourself to orgasm. Sure. So they may be telling the truth. They may have attempted it, not really knowing what the hell they were doing, done it in secret and shame and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's a I think it's a very complex topic. And I think I'm not it's a, surprised. Yeah. It's a it's a topic for a whole show, I think, too. We heard yeah. The skeptics have from early on been promoting masturbation. Healthy, <laughs> good, fun, pleasurable masturbation. For men and women. Yep. Yes. Everyone. Yeah. Well, well, one thing I think we can agree on: we need to we need to normalize it, especially for women, that they don't feel ashamed of their bodies. Well, because sure. the other the other piece of this, and and is if yeah, like I say, if you if a woman doesn't know how to give herself an orgasm, how is a man supposed to be able to to do it? You know, mm -hmm. I I I, uh, I we we need help. We need to be taught. Right, because everybody's different. Right. Right. I agree. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and move on and talk about animal masturbation. <laughs> With animals or animals masturbating? Well, I, you know what? I don't care how you how you want to do it. You know, let's. <laughs> I care. <laughs> <laughs> I got lines, people. <laughs> <laughs> let's get this dog and pony show started. <laughs> All right. So, Mac, what what are we gonna? Well, I mean, you've, actually, you've the first link in here is actually dumbasses, the CIA's oh, okay. animal spies. Oh, okay. Well, 
Go ahead, dumbass, and tell me about it. Wait, hold on. Uh, crap. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hold on and crap. <laughs> I would prefer not to hold on to crap. We just got done Sorry. masturbating and Sorry. not to crap, too. Sorry, a thing happened there. Let me try again. <clears throat> okay, well, um, yeah, I was going, going to do something there, but it, uh, for some reason it didn't work out. Oh. <laughs> well, we can put it in in post. <laughs> I had a little intro that, to the thing that I wanted to... Uh, play and it was working out when I was trying it trying it out earlier, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw it in. We are technically challenged, and that's okay. No, really, we'll we'll throw it in in post. All right. Uh, so I saw this story, and I thought it would fit nicely into our theme today, because it's a story about animals. But these aren't just any animals. These are, in fact, animals who have been trained to be spies. <laughs> All right, sure. Okay, um, I'll just uh, start start in with it. Okay. Um, you guys can pretend that I just did something cool. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow, that, that was, was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I came across this article that has been uh, uh, about animals that have been used for espionage purposes, and I thought that it would be great for our topic today. It's pretty much about uh, behavioral conditioning, uh, the kind of thing that Pavlov demonstrated with his dogs. But uh, the work of B.F. Skinner was apparently the most influential, and he did some really interesting experiments with pigeons. Uh, apparently, at one point, he was even trying to train pigeons to be guidance systems for missiles. I saw that. Um, am I still connected? You are still you are. connected. Yeah, okay. sorry. Yeah. We're trying to be polite, and I, I know it's a rarity. <laughs> I just thought it was a pretty interesting, really long article of stuff to go over, but they've uh, trained um, uh, ravens and um, pigeons and cats, um, uh, all very interesting stuff. All right. Yeah, they, trained, they trained ravens to drop off spy devices. They turned cats into wire, wire receptors uh, by basically... Well, they, they essentially turned them into cybernetic recording devices, which I'm pretty sure is not legal. <laughs> um, does, does it say how many of them were successful? Um, well, I, they seem to be suggesting that maybe they're not doing it so much uh, anymore these days. Um, the, the modern electronics seem to have taken over, but... Uh, uh, there, there are various reports, and apparently um, the CIA doesn't really uh, talk about uh, what it does with animals or anything, so it's kind of hard to know exactly uh, uh, all that, the, the extent of it, and um, whether any of it is still going on. Hmm. Well, this next article is kind of related about the harnessing the military power of animal intelligence. Well, yeah, we, we actually talked about this back in podcast 40 about the Navy SEALs and the Navy Dolphins that were basically being trained to stop combat swimmers and terrorists. And, you know, it was actually pretty funny. The, uh, the, the writer of the article was talking about the fact that he went through all these 
different attempts to try to get his deliver his package and the final total was animals five humans zero hmm. he did not get through so okay and uh, now i mean how, how do these dolphins I, I guess what happens is the dolphin tags you with some sort okay. of some sort of device and then uh, the sea lion <laughs> boots you. He okay. basically clamps a clamp around your leg so you can be reeled in. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I love the fact that he, he boots you. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So what do we got here? Halloween props of dead-skinned dogs? Yeah. This one, um, it's not direct animals. You know, we're not talking about living animals. We're talking about what people are claiming to be promoting animal cruelty. Basically, what happened was um, Walmart other websites, they ha- if you buy off their site, you're not necessarily buying from Walmart. And so they'll often have third parties that... Um, Merchandise through their site, and this is a Halloween prop site. Merchandise through Walmart, a um, Halloween dead dog prop, and basically what you have is it looks like a skinned dog being dragged by a chain with a big tire track over it. Well, a lot of people got upset over this apparently because they claim somehow promoting cruelty. A plastic dog is somehow promoting cruelty. Yes. I'm, I'm personally not sure that I see a difference between a grisly de- depiction of a dead dog and the common de- grisly depictions of dead humans that we see at Halloween all the time. Well, and you, yeah. you look, there are grotesque mutilated animal props like crazy out there. This one isn't even the most grotesque of them. I mean, you can find some pretty messed up things. Now, my interesting little thing to add here is I wrote a story a few years ago, and it got published recently, this last year, in an anthology called Say Goodnight to the Bad Guy. And the point of the anthology was the bad guy wins. It it can't be supernatural or anything. It has to be like a real-world setting. And the bad guy, in the end, gets away with whatever it is. Well, my story I wrote, I started off this um, teenager who um, basically was in a state hospital, um, kind of confessing his life story. And he starts off talking about how the first thing he ever murdered was a fly. And in his mind, all forms of life are equal. It doesn't matter what you kill. Um, they, and it c- comes down to whether or not they live their life with a purpose. And so there's the whole thing of building up from the fly, um, the groundhog, or a prairie dog, I think it was, um, to the um, pet dogs in the neighborhood, stuff like that. Well, apparently... If you go to Amazon, in one of the reviews, th- th- now keep in mind, this is a collection store where the bad guys win. My story is far from being the most disturbing and the most graphic and the most bloody. But my story is the only one that involves animals um, getting killed and um, harmed and mutilated. All the others, people get mutilated left and right, no one had a problem with. But in this one review um, for my story, a person actually said they could not pass the animal mutilation. And I'm looking at it like, okay, I've read the whole anthology. I know the human mutilation that's in there. That doesn't bother them one bit. But I'm going after something cute and cuddly. 
fit with it wasn't like it was just I, I put it in there to for you know the shock factor it was actually part of the story so you know, when i see stuff like this I, you know i agree with dumbass it's interesting what you know upsets people it's a bit hypocritical yeah it, it is it is pretty weird and uh have you seen the comments uh, on that article i have not recently there are a lot of people like oh like oh my god people are so um disgusting this is just evil things like that you know um and uh, you just wonder well what about uh zombies people dress up as zombies all the time that's pretty horrific yeah well resident evil had the zombie dogs Oh yeah, those are fairly common. I've I've seen them yeah. many times now. Actually, I bought a lawn ornament for my sister that is a um, zombie flamingo. Uh, we have one of those. It's in our backyard right now. I've been working on my Halloween display. Excellent. That is an awesome piece, by the way, Ian. I've seen that. Oh yeah, it's one we had to have last year when we saw it. And if you go to Spirits, they have a ton of stuff along that line now. Zombie. Um, Lawn ornament kind of thing. So did they, uh, okay that did they in this article did they make any like any good points about why this is a problem or is it is it just that somebody was turned off by it? Seem to have a problem um, suffering fancy from reality and have decided that dog prop is promoting animal cruelty. Yeah, I don't. I can't make that connection. I, I don't even. I, I don't even know how you justify that. If they take that dog prop down, how are how are you going to put together a Michael Vick costume for Halloween? But you go down. There's one. Um, this guy Zodiac. You were talking about comments. Disturbing, disgusting. What next? A dead skinned baby. I have a zombie baby doll. You know, that's nothing. You know, when you talk about dead babies and stuff like that, that's what that uh, Hell House was all about. That you know that 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 the fundamentalists put on. They had a lot of that kind of stuff. Now, maybe not a skinned baby, but you know, aborted fetuses and stuff like that. I mean, it's okay, when, you know, for them, but you know, but for as a Halloween prop, no, that's that's no good. Well, they're trying to save your soul, Brian. Well, that that's true. That's the difference. I don't know. I I, I think that I, I don't know. I think you, these people go too far. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> There's worse stuff out there. I, you know, it's amazing this one got such attention. Yeah. Well, it's it is. It is the cute factor, you know. Well, um, yeah. It's well, there. There's a quote here. Somebody said, um, "A dead, apparently skinned dog is horrific to look at and nothing to make light of." The people distributing and selling this prop might be seen as being totally insensitive to this reality. <laughs> I. What is I, there to be sensitive about? It's a piece of plastic for a Halloween setup. Yeah, I love the comment from Stacy from 12 days ago. She says, so you ban a, a latex fake dog yet continue to sell inflatable sheep. <laughs> uh, excellent. All right. Well, somebody, uh, zebra fishes actually make a good human analog for oh, that one's mine. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. So I thought this zebra fish article was interesting because in scientific research, we have a few animals that we think of as being, the human analogs to them uh, that are most commonly used, such as uh, mice, chimpanzees, and uh, fruit flies. Uh, these are um, mostly what we think of when we think of scientific research on animals. But apparently the zebra fish is actually one of the little-known stars of the genetic research uh, world, allowing us to uncover genetic secrets. Um, uh, were you about to say something? Oh, I was, I was going to say, um, 
I, I think because they're clear, they, um, it is one of the advantages of, for using them, isn't it? Yes, I was just about to say. Okay, um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, a zebrafish embryo develops as much in a day as a human embryo does in a month, and a young and young zebrafish are almost completely transparent, which allows scientists to study them without having to cut them open. Um, the zebrafish has counterparts for about 70% of our genes, and if you look at genetic disorders in humans, about 84% of them have zebrafish analogs. Uh, zebrafish are leading new paths of research in areas like muscular dystrophy, heart physiology, uh, human embryo development, and treatments for skin cancer. Um, so I thought perhaps our mental image of standard lamb animals uh, could be expanded, and we might want to put in the zebrafish into that category. Yeah, I think that they're a good analog for heart disease, that they've been used a lot for that. Hmm. I know that uh, PZ Myers, uh, he has th that um, he has done a lot of research with zebrafish. I did not know that. Yeah. So, yeah, I have so, a hard time thinking of fruit flies as being a human analog for. Well, that. yeah, but yeah, but they have a lot of a lot of this. I mean, we're we're. I don't know how how close we are. I mean, but it's well, pretty hot. Uh, fruit well, flies are good for genetic research because they they have a very simplified genetic um, code and uh, they 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 can breed really quickly. Well, and I guess it does make sense. I mean, both fruit flies and humans have a susceptibility to being swatted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the zebrafish is, is quite cool. So, all right. Um, what's this next one here? Meat? Uh, the the Olinguito. This, they've they've had examples of this creature. It's it's a relative of the raccoon, but they've had examples of this creature for I guess fifty to a hundred years, and they only just realize that it's actually a separate species. Um, I find it interesting that I found the article interesting because it's a new it's a new carnivore species in the Western Hemisphere, the first one discovered in the last 35 years. But I also found it interesting that they seriously, seriously cuted up the creature. Um they named it the Olinguido, which means small, adorable Olin. Olin. Okay. And it, it just, it actually kind of comes across like, like somebody at the Smithsonian said, hey, you know, we haven't been in the news. We need a win to release a news article about something. You, you think that, I mean, it, I mean, looking at the claws and stuff like that, I mean, is it, is it a pretty, you think it's a pretty fierce animal? They say they're not particularly fierce. They say they're very, they say they have a pretty mild diet. They're not super carnivorous. They're supposed to be, they're, they're saying it's like a clawed teddy bear. What is its size? About um, the size of? I think they said it's about the size of a cat. Huh. And what and, and what you're, oh, you think? Oh, it weighs the article... about the same as a guinea pig. Okay. Oh wow, so it's little. It's smallest member of the raccoon family. It dines on fruits, insects, and plant nectar. So you 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 think it was just kind of a fluff piece? I it, mean, you it think really that... kind of comes across as a PR piece. And I would, you well, know. Well, okay, but it's the Washington Post. What, yeah. what do you expect? I mean, it, it's not like it's a scientific journal. 
Well, I'm saying it's I'm thinking it's a PR piece for the Smithsonian person. Oh, okay. I uh, you know it, this seems like somebody said, "Hey, we're not in the news. Let's do something to get us in the news in a good way." Well, if they found a mammal, I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. What What's interesting though is apparently they've had examples of this in the form of skins and remains, but they've also had living examples in zoos and they were not able to determine that they were, they thought they were small atypical examples of the other animals in the cage. They couldn't figure out why they wouldn't socialize or breed with the other animals until, you know, recently. So I'm just surprised that, you know, that it wasn't a cryptozoologist that found it, right? No, apparently it was a guy (laughs) working the drawers at uh, Smithsonian. Well, that's how we find a lot of these kinds of things. You know, we, we have so many so many of these things cataloged and put away. We don't we don't even know what we've got. I was just gonna say it's too small for the cryptozoologists. Exactly. Just... Well, yeah, I know. I, my I, my point is is that you know there's people out there doing real work that actually find this kind of stuff. Real tedious, like science is tedious. Someone, yeah, yeah. exactly. Someone yeah. is going through their doors. Yep. Exactly. Sciency stuff is hard. We've, we hear the same thing with fossils all the time. Somebody will be going through a drawer and then realize that they have found something that is, you know, that that's really unique, you know, that that just got shoved in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. So the next article I put in here was about five little-known facts about famous animals. Um. You know, number one in here is the sloth and it actually it's it moves so slow that algae grows on it but that also keeps it from being also keeps it from being eaten by anything that doesn't really like algae which is most of us <laughs> um they've also got they've also got a specific species of of moths that live in their fur and they feed on sloth feces. My wife was horrified when I showed this to her. <laughs> <laughs> the article or the picture yeah, of the sloth yeah. itself? Uh, no, just, just, to, just when I told her about it. Yeah, they found a mo- they found one of these with 120 moth species on one sloth. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. The uh, the next one is the cuttlefish, which has which doesn't have iron-based blood, but instead uses uh, copper-based blood. So they have blue-green blood rather than red. Isn't that also true of horseshoe crabs? I think they do, yes. But they're not in the article. No. Sand tiger sharks fight to the death in utero. Polar bears have black skin. That I knew. That they have black skin and transparent fur, which looks white because of the way it reflects. Hmm, I did not know that. And the the last one on here is actually the most interesting to me. Uh, sea otters have particular rocks, particularly useful rocks that they keep as tools. So they not only use tools, but they actually will find a preferred tool and keep a tool. That's pretty huge. That's that's it a is. big that's a big marker of human development when we started carrying our tools with us and Yeah. 
planning for the future in that way. Uh, and then they can they can they can discriminate between one rock and another, and they basically the rock that they like they'll store it in a fold on their skin and keep it. All right. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Mm-hmm. The next article in here was 10 little-known relatives of famous animals. The uh, Okapi, I'm guessing I'm pronouncing that right, it's the only living relative of the giraffe, and man, is it a strange-looking creature. Hmm. Oh, they have one of these at the Denver Zoo. Uh-huh. They, or a couple I, of them. I do remember seeing them there last time I was there. They have the pygmy hippo or bonsai hippo, which is formed by clipping off parts of the the, the hippopotamus in... Uh, actually, it's probably not. The bonsai. It's <laughs> <laughs> training its legs a certain way. <laughs> um, the... Uh, they look like smaller, cuter versions of hippos, but they are, they're not, they are hippopotamus, but they have very, very different habits. They spend a lot more time on land and they herd together or they, they herd in smaller groups than their, than their larger relatives. The next one is the ard wolf, which is not a wolf, but is in fact actually uh, more closely related to a hyena. They have weak jaws and a long, sticky tongue to collect their prey, so they eat termites. Hmm. Number seven is the drill, which is related to the mandrill, but apparently they're not quite as close to humans because they're only drills, not mandrills. Hmm. Um, they are actually pretty badly endangered because they're being eaten by humans. Yeah, that's uh, terrible that when you got the poaching like that going on. I don't know why it bothers me so much more when it's a close, when it's a related species like a primate. I don't know. I just... It, because I don't you're know. speciesist. Well, I am speciesist. <laughs> but doesn't this kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier with the, with the dog? Yeah. I mean, it's it's that same kind of we have a, a visceral reaction to it, and and we and we and we go by that impulse instead of instead of stepping back and saying, wait a second, is that does that really make sense or what's going on here? It's it's the same kind of thing. There's also the more human the creature is, the more we're going to find a um, bond to it. You know, we're looking and say that's closer to us. You have to be more protective of it. Well, and humans are kind of, have have that kind of same bond with with dogs. More, yeah. more so than a lot of other creatures. What is dogs? What are dogs? They're humans with fur. They're man's best friend. <laughs> that is the proverbial. That's the that's the most common thing ever said about dogs. Is they're man's right. best friend. But but that but that it's the same kind of you know that that's what? why we have that reaction. I'd have to look this up, but I think there might be some diseases associated with cannibalism though that have to do with eating closely related species. Uh, prion diseases, right? Yep. Yep. Well, but that's not in all animals. There's a lot of animals that can do cannibalism just fine. Sure. Right. But I'm justifying my my skeeviness about the uh, eating the primates. Uh, you know, Dennis Leary, way back when he was doing 
stand-up comedy. He had an album called No Cure for Cancer. And one of his routines on there, he was talking about the problem with us trying to save the animals is that we only want to save the cute ones. Right. It's like we should have animal auditions. He says, what are you? I'm an otter. What do you do? I lie on the back and I lie on my back in the water and I do cute little human things with my hands. You're free to go. What are you? I'm a cow. Get on the bus. But I'm an animal. You're a baseball glove. Get on the bus. What pops in my head right off the bat is the Nirvana lyric. It's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. And there's a logic that we don't, you know, the the way we view it, the the more human, you know, facial features they have, the more it looks like they can express feelings, the more likely we are to be protective of them. Yeah, dogs have expressive eyes. This isn't strictly the same thing, but uh, I remember this joke I heard a comedian saying once. He said, you know, we have such a screwed up society. You know, you can um, take a goat, uh, kill it, cook it up and eat it, and you're a gourmet. But fall in love with that very same goat. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um so anyway, I, I, let's go ahead and just uh, the the articles in here with the with the little known relatives of the creatures, and I figure let's go ahead and skip on to the next stuff the uh, the obscure animals. Oh, okay, obscure ones. Yes, twenty five cool obscure animals. Number one, the spectral bat. It's basically a big vampire bat. <laughs> You know, I, just go back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, it, it's these kinds of creatures like like bats and, and even like like there's no there's never there's not a save the we don't have enough effort to save the bats when we've got a problem there. We don't have enough effort. You know, beetles are another thing that's that's terribly important to, you know, to, to agriculture and everything. And, and, and it's not realized. I mean, bats are incredibly important. And, and I, don't, I don't think we do enough, you know, to, to try and prevent, you know, them from being killed. Yeah. It's the charismatic megafauna bias. Yeah. You know, we've got, I, I love the fact that we've got bats in our neighborhood. We can see out at night. I, I watch them flying around and I'm thinking every swoop is another three or four dead mosquitoes. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, we think bats are sinister and part of that is their appearance. And part of that I'm sure comes from, uh, you know, Bram Stoker in, in his, his work, Dracula. Sure. Which has imprinted itself on our culture to the point where we now have sparkly Edward Cullen. <laughs> Vampires should not sparkle. It's just wrong. <laughs> I saw, just a, as a side note, I saw a cartoon talking about the fact that what if the entire Twilight series was actually a metaphor for the vampires being meth users? And the, the Bella in the in the cartoon is saying, "Why do you have a bunch of crushed up meth rocks on your skin?" <laughs> All right, move on to this next one. Next one is the, really cool. The pistol shrimp is incredibly cool. The pistol shrimp can snap its claw with enough force that it creates a pressure wave sufficient to kill nearby fish. They need those in Texas. <laughs> I just think that's cool as hell, though. I it, it's basically got a it's basically got a distance weapon that all it has to do is snap its claw, kill the fish, and then it's got a meal. That's so adaptive. You don't have to 
put yourself at risk or expend a ton of effort catching something. Or learn how to use the force. Yep. <laughs> the uh, the Guinean cock of the rock is kind of interesting just simply because of the the oddly shaped head crest and the fact that it can that it can completely cover its beak with the head crest. We've got the fossa, which is actually a mongoose, although it looks like a cat. It hunts, it hunts lemurs. They've got the vampire squid. And it's creepy. Um, <laughs> all right, so. Oh, wow. The uh, number seven, I'm going to skip a couple. The, the Watson. They've got, I, I'm guessing I'm pronouncing that right, but. It's it basically they've got bat-like claws on their wings that they can use. It's almost like it's almost like they've got the um, the adaptation. They they didn't really evolve from the the uh, pterodactyls that used to do this and clamber around on all four legs. Hmm. All right, Mac, why don't you pick two more on this page and let's move on. All right, well, actually, I'm I'm good to move on right okay, now. Okay, good. Let's cover that one. <laughs> All right. Are, are you ready to, I mean, let, let's, how, how, what are we at here? We're, we're at over, over an hour, aren't we? Yeah, we are. So why don't you pick just a couple more of these articles that you've got here? Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and touch upon the shorter winged swallows. We touched on these back in podcast number six, golden oldie, talking about shorter winged birds evolving around civilized areas. And we weren't really sure why, we were talking at the time about the fact that they might be evolving shorter wings and smaller bodies because they don't need to migrate as far. But it kind of looks like, based upon this article, that the shorter winged birds are actually shorter winged for greater agility. Because, you know, in my observations of birds, it seems like the ones that have the shorter wings also have a sharper turning radius. I think that's true. I mean, pigeons have fairly short turns, and don't they have the, like one of the best turning radiuses? I think that and, is and the they, case. And they fly really fast, too. Pigeons are actually quite amazing. But um, what the article is talking about is that the the a lot of these cliff swallows are getting killed around highways, but the ones that are surviving are the ones that have evolved shorter, shorter wingspans. Um their wing, the average wing length has shrunk. Um, a few millimeters is what they're saying. It's saying that the results suggest that years of smacking into SUVs have forced swallows to adapt to the road. You know, based on the ones that had the longer wings are the ones that kept hitting the cars. Yep. Because they couldn't turn. Yeah. As fast. I, I think that they might be jumping to conclusions here. I mean, that might be true. I think that the, the, but the, the, they've made a correlation here, but I don't think that they have really established the causation. That yes. it's just, it's just, it's just a guess. It's a hypothesis. How would you establish causal relationship? You know, I, I don't know. That that's a really good question. But they're saying that the, the swallows that were dying only had wings that were a few millimeter longer, longer the ones that were the cars. Well, I mean that that's that's measurable, but how do how do they, I mean how do they prove that it's the cars and SUVs? 
And not something else, some yeah. other cause. That, that, that's what I'm getting at. Well, that's killing them? I would think that'd be fairly easy to determine. Cause basically... Well, that's, the cars are the selective pressure, though, is what Brian's saying. That... Oh. Well, but the logic here is that the birds with the longer wings are more likely to be cars. That means the birds with the shorter wings are going to be the ones that survive to have babies. And there is a logic to that, and that is a basic of how evolution works. Yeah, it's very plausible. Yeah. Well, it may not be. It may not be the cars alone either. It may also be the fact that we are we are reshaping the features and the, the environment in order to accommodate cars as well. But also, basically, whatever it is, is the birds with the shorter wings are the ones that are surviving better in all these changes. This particular species, they're normally building their nests under cliff faces but they're having to move from cliff faces to highway bridges and overpasses now yeah yeah it's, it's very interesting all right mac what else uh do we want to go to the cockatoos or do we want to go to the birds obeying speed limits um either way i mean the, the cockatoos is is really neat and but let's so go ahead and talk about the cockatoos since we okay. both got at, since we both got articles in on that yeah so why so so what is so so my cocker my cockatoo is smarter than your honor student? How could that be? <laughs> um, it's talking about the fact in this that the cockatoos, the the Goffin cockatoos they experimented on, have a better grasp of object permanence than a four year old child. They can they can you know, you can fool babies with peekaboo up to a certain point. They see you disappear and you're gone. And then you're back and then you're gone and then you're back these birds and i don't know if it's a matter of them necessarily being smarter than a four-year-old or simply developing this skill a lot faster than a four-year-old but the fact that they've got the skill in the first place is pretty impressive um basically these cockatoos that they experimented on they they showed experiments where they did the shell game on these cockatoos, and in most cases, they picked out where the object was. The shell game being where they put an object under one of three identical cups, and then they shuffle and shuffle and shuffle. Yeah, it's pretty neat, and they think it has to do... They, they have a pretty keen spatial reasoning, and they and they, they think that... I mean, there would... The, the current you know, hypothesis is that it has to do with the fact that um, flying just takes that much brain power. But the real question is, are they smarter than a fifth grader? <laughs> hey, not that even Jeff good... Foxworthy is smarter than a fifth grader. Yeah. Anyway. Um... I'm sure there must be some fifth grader somewhere around that I'm smarter than. <laughs> must be smarter than a fifth grader somewhere. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I think I'm smarter than my fifth grader. I will say I've got in the house, I have an umbrella cockatoo and he will inventory his toys. And I, he's, he's been observed to pick out a particular one and move the stuff aside to get the one that he wants and take that one back. So he's, he's aware of differences in objects and he's aware of what one he wants out of, you know, several apparently identical blocks, identical to the human eye, but apparently not to the cockatoo eye. 
You know, they've been doing a lot of cockatoo research here lately. I, you know, particularly the parrots. You know, I mean, of course, you know, a, a cockatoo. I mean, they're, they're excellent at figuring out how to open things. Uh-huh. I mean, I mean, they're I, and I, they're just all these parrots are amazing. I I don't think that you know peekaboo works on on my parrot. No, the the uh, results of peekaboo used on Tango, my my Conure, is that you go peekaboo at him, and he's three feet away. You peek, he's two feet away. You peek again, he's a foot, and the fourth peak, he's actually on the cloth you're trying to peekaboo with. Right. It's, that's usually what happens is that they just they, they they just go for the cloth that's in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, pretty pretty neat. So so what what's your conclusion here, Mac? You you put a lot of stuff in here. I just you know we it's been a while since we've done something focused on animals, and there's a lot of there's just a lot of interesting stuff out there. Um, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of a little sour on the Olinguito article. It's still neat that they discovered a new, a new mammal after, you know, a new mammal in the Western hemisphere after all this time. Yeah. It just still feels a little bit like a PR thing to me. Well, I mean, anytime you're putting something, you know, publishing stuff like that, I mean, it's a PR piece. I mean that that's what I mean most of this stuff is to bring attention to something. I do really like the um my favorite article was the one about the the wingspan shortening. That is pretty um, neat. And I think it's just interesting the interaction of humans in the natural world and our technology and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know the the article we skipped about birds obeying speed limits. They were talking about it as as being a a survival characteristic that they don't want to go faster than the cars. I'm wondering if it's actually a flock behavior. In other words, they're keeping they're keeping speed with something that they can see so that they can kind of flock with it and keep a and keep a group. I'm not yeah, that makes sense. I'm not clear about what the advantage would be of not going faster than or than the cars. Yeah, I don't know. I mean certainly you know you see like when the geese fly you know, they, they fly in that V and there's somebody in the head. And do you guys know why one side is longer than the other? Because there's more gays in it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, what, what's interesting about the geese in the V is that the the V, the, the point of the V will switch multiple times over the, over the course of the flight because one goose will get tired and he'll drop back to the back and he'll basically he'll basically draft the other geese this is how cyclists draft on the pace line right yep and the the fresh goose will take over and he'll lead the flock um what something really interesting about geese is watching them teach the young geese how to stay in formation and they will they will v up but they'll turn that v in multiple directions just so they make sure that the young geese are staying in it. All right. Well, I, I think that, that that's probably good enough, don't you? I think that's probably a pretty good amount of material. Dumbass, what's your feeling on Canada geese? <laughs> um, I like them. 
I like to call them Canadian geese. I like mm. to give them citizenship to Canada. No, that's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you know the geese, the goose and individual goose came from Canada. Oh, okay. Then it's okay. <laughs> then it's okay. It might be a Canadian Canada goose. <laughs> <laughs> what if he doesn't want to identify that way? That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. You should probably ask each goose. Individually. And, mm-hmm. and if the goose says honk A, it's probably from Canada. <laughs> well, he'd probably want to know what the process was. <laughs> All right, so I guess that's another one in the can. I think so. Say goodnight, everybody. Good night, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to mindspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 